0: Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for taking the time out to come on.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate?
1: I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, and I um, I had the experience that I think a lot of people around my age had where I um, was raised by parents who had kind of like been uh a little bit hippie, hippie tinged in their, uh, the way that the way that they thought about food and eating and had sort of like gone through phases of, um, you know, like my mom had every single cookbook that Molly Katzen has ever published, um, from moosewood to the enchanted broccoli forest. Um, and so it was a combination of that kind of sort of cheese and bulgur casserole type of 70s uh, vegetarian food and also the food that my parents had grown up eating, which was, like, a sort of, you know, uh, I don't know. I remember my my mom's sort of, like, classic, like, weeknight dishes when I was growing up were, like, um, stovetop mac and cheese with uh, breadcrumbs on it and a side of broccoli, like, steamed broccoli with... um, lemon and butter, which is actually like a, yeah, totally awesome. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, stuff like that. So not a lot of meat in the rotation, a ton of pasta. Cause it was the eighties. Um, and I mean, my mom's, a, my mom's a really good cook. Uh, my dad, uh, is the son of like assimilated, very assimilated Jews from Long Island who my grandmother like really did not cook at all. And her one signature dish other than a brisket that she would make for Passover, but her other signature, like, you know, maybe a dinner party dish that she would make is a chicken that was somehow basted with, um, I want to say French dressing, like the orange kind that comes in a (laughs) Completely disgusting, like overtly disgusting. (laughs) um, But they were great at, you know, like ordering all of the right things from a deli um that that was a real that was a real skill um <laughs> uh, so yeah that's that's basically my my culinary my culinary legacy my my maternal grandparents I'm like half Jewish and half Jewish. Mm-hmm. like so many of the absolute worst people in the world <laughs> <laughs> and uh my maternal grandparents were actually really, 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 really good cooks and who always had a um always had a green salad with every meal with like a really garlicky dressing made in like the same giant uh wooden salad bowl and ate a lot of food that they grew themselves because they always had a garden in their backyard. Um yeah, so they were they were sort of the more um yeah, like, the the stronger, like, I guess, culinary influence. And my, my grandmother, like, grew up on a farm and taught my mom how to cook. And my mom, that's why my mom is, like, a, an actual good cook.
0: Well, how did food become kind of a, a focal point in your life? Because, you know, while it's never the explicit focus of your writing, you know, even when you wrote your really great essay about domestic goddesses for The Cut, you know, you were writing more kind of about womanhood than food. But, you know, food is always there. And even in that the visions of a perfect future that you wrote about in your 2014 essay, how much my novel cost me. Um, as you can tell, I went through your whole oeuvre yesterday. Um, but yeah, it's, the food is always there. Um, and uh, how did that happen?
1: Um, I guess because I think a lot about domesticity Mm -hmm. and sort of the idealized domesticity, um, you know, what, like, Making a, a beautiful home and life can mean, especially for women, and how that butts up against our lived realities. And I um, I, I think I think something really, really formative for me was having a job in my early twenties where I worked at a publishing house that pu- that mostly published cookbooks, which I talked about in that mm-hmm. domestic goddesses essay. I reread that domestic goddesses essay recently too um and I was so struck by you know like you it's such a time of like going back with like our lens of Mm -hmm. right now and looking at our past work and being like oh cringe oh my god (laughs) um but I feel like I was really gross about Nigella in that essay and I just talked about her boobs a lot but actually Nigella is a great writer and I sort of failed to focus on that part of it because um Oh, because, so the publisher who I worked for was the American publisher of Nigella and also, I guess, Jamie Oliver, um, some people like that. Um, And, yeah, so this is when I was, like, first living um, with a boyfriend. I was sort of playing house. Like, really, there's no better word for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was sort of pretend, well, I mean, I was actually cooking food and actually you know, making dinner, uh, but we weren't like really building a life together. We were just sort of like having this sort of fantasy of ourselves as as adults. Um, but yeah, I I was I was cooking from these cookbooks and sort of imagining myself imagining myself into the role of like adult woman who is the one who determines what the household will feel like and taste like and smell like and that stuff seems so um like it's politically charged it's like emotionally important it's care work it's everything um everything is um sort of encapsulated in like how you feed your family I was like imagining myself and this boyfriend as like a like a family um trying to imagine myself into a future I guess
0: Right. And I mean, you are a mom now. Like, how have you thought about how you kind of conjured the idea of what that would be like versus what the reality of it is like? I mean, I know you do. You write about it in your in your newsletter all the time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah wah, wah, wah. Um, I actually I wrote I wrote an essay about this It's such a it's such a bummer essay, but I wrote an essay about this in the um, really great um, Charlotte Druckmann anthology. Women oh, yes,
0: movie. yes. I have it. Was, it
1: yeah. Um. And I just wrote about how different my reality is now from the fantasy that I had as, as someone who was, you know, single and really had very few caregiving responsibilities. Uh, I mean, the pandemic has been really hard on my love of food. I The um, Helen Rosner essay about how she has sort of given up on loving cooking um, really resonated with me because... I've, I mean, I sometimes I'll go through phases where I'll get really interested in new recipes again, but mostly it is just this really um, little chore for me right now. Every aspect of, you know, from not being able to, like, easily shop at, at different markets and um, to just, like, <laughs> my kids, trying to manage my kids' relationships to food, i.e., like, <laughs> hoping, hoping that they'll eat some of it so right. they don't then come to me at, at bedtime and say, Mama, I'm hungry. And it's like, well, you had the last three hours to take a single bite of the completely wonderful meal that I made for you, okay. my darling. Like, And now you're going to eat some, some like, city's yogurt that comes in a tube. Um, <laughs> I a lot of tube yogurt, it's not something I'm particularly proud of. Um yeah it's it's a bummer the, the 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 very specific future that i had fantasized in kind of a joking way mm-hmm. I mean, in that essay about money that i wrote when i was kind of i guess I, I was working on that essay when i was like turning 30 um or maybe in my very early 30s and uh wasn't married didn't have kids um really struggling Every aspect of my life and career and finances, and just figuring, trying to figure out how to move forward with all of that stuff. And I thought that I wanted to be a novelist who lived in a brownstone, was married to my then boyfriend Keith, and we had children. And I wrote all day and then served them a delicious dinner at night. And I think I said, like Jennifer Egan, but I don't know if she cooks, uh, like Lori Colwyn, but not dead. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, um, I guess some parts of that blissful dream have come true, not the brownstone, <laughs> but I, you know, like, like everything that you can sort of Succeed at or attain in life. You like finish one level of the video game, and the reward yeah. is that you get to like the next level of the video game that just is like harder and has like bigger, scarier monsters. <laughs> um, so I feel like I have, I have actually like, I mean, again, not the brownstone is like a big exception, but like, um, you know, I had I married Keith. We have two wonderful, although very irritating, children, <laughs> and. I do cook dinner every night and I do write novels. Um, Like it's all happening, except (laughs) I really, really hate most parts of it. And I'm still, you know, the same person who, um, you know, managed to uh, like, basically squander a fortune in the service of writing a book that like I would rather have um, you know each of my fingernails removed with pliers than really like open and read again um, mm. so yeah I mean no regrets I guess but
0: right no I mean it's it's interesting because I mean obviously uh for you you're a person who's written so much about your life and so there is all this documentation of like what you thought your life would be and then what it becomes which for me is like always what I've wanted to read this is why I love the internet this is why I like was on live journal it's like I want to know the journey of a person's life and so it's but I understand I can imagine that it's like you know having someone ask you like how did your dreams measure up to your reality is like um you know not it's not the intention in being a writer, you know, I guess, right. To, to have, to have it all add up. It's just to be, to write it down. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I want to allow for the possibility that everyone is always like changing and yeah, fully growing, et cetera. But it is, and, and also I have, I feel exactly the same way about blogging and the internet in all of its forms and the, and the internet that you do. I, I've always thought of, all of my online writing is sort of, a, you know, to be maximally pretentious about it, like sort of a durational performance project Mm -hmm. that like is, you know, the documentation of, of my, you know, my, at least my own in in narrativization of my, of my own experiences, but like, um, yeah, it, it is jarring sometimes to come up against, uh, you know, uh, a younger version of yourself, and what what she thought she wanted, or right. what she thought was going to be what would make her happy.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, we all. It's yeah. It's just, it's the thing that everyone actually has go been through, but not everyone has documented, which is. I mean, but I think you know documentation is important and powerful <laughs> and necessary yeah. um and I mean you were talking about the brownstone, and one of the other things you write about with such like clarity and honesty is money, and I have never written about money, and this would probably be the first time I'm acknowledging that I'm like a person who's been in and out of debt, like of course, ever since I decided to be a freelance writer, it's like basically a game of of taking on debt and then paying it off um Mm -hmm. and you know um but I, i feel like i'm not supposed to be that kind of person i'm like i'm supposed to be a person who has like a handle on on these kinds of things but um for you why has it been important to talk about the reality of of money and being a writer and how those things don't often make sense together
1: um I think it was just i think I focused on it so much because it was part of my really my project for a long time, starting in i guess um my late twenties was this sort of commitment to radical honesty in mm-hmm. writing and not just my writing i mean i i I was so interested in and committed to sort of the 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 potential power of first-person narratives as, like, you know, tools for, um, I guess, communicating, I get, I I really felt so strongly that, um, if people could just have more exposure to female interiority and female subjectivity, like, the world could change Mm -hmm. around that, um, and I felt like it, it was just something that had been really missing from my education and my like culture, cultural exposure thus far. And so that's why I, um, you know, started this like publishing project where I um, mostly published first person, like memoir or near memoir um, novels. And um And I was so committed to it. And then at a certain point, I just started to, maybe as sort of like the larger culture caught up to it in various ways, um, I started to like move away from it. And Mm -hmm. right now I feel really pretty far from it. Um, I mean, the pendulum might swing, I might come back, but I I think I also hit like sort of for myself, like the the limits of like what I was comfortable with in terms of like being that, transparent being that available, like letting people in to that extent. Mm-hmm. I I I guess I I don't know. You know, there's that like magnetic field song that um goes, No one no one will ever love you honestly. No one will ever love you for your honesty. Mm. and um, (laughs) I think think it it took a while for that to land for me you know I mean people might appreciate your honesty and people might have a voyeuristic relationship with your honesty and if they're honest with themselves they might um, you know realize that they're like if they're hate reading you they're like still reading you
0: right (laughs) Um, Right.
1: but um, I didn't want I'm, I don't get off on being a provocateur. I know some people really like to make other people angry with their writing and that's not mm-hmm. me. And unfortunately, like, I, I think that um, I'd be much more, like, successful and prolific if I got off on making people angry. But I just don't – I don't get anything out of it. And yeah. um, and I do want to be loved. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm a Libra with Aries and right. Aries Rising. And I <laughs> – and I just, and that's just something that I know about myself now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I guess I would not write that essay today because I just wouldn't be able to get it up to be that brave and that honest. Cause I also know what the, I know what the consequences are. Um, and I also know, I also feel like there's just more at stake than just me now. Cause I have a, right. I have a family and cause I have, you know, my best friend who I ran a business with for so long and I still feel like if I really, if I really, really screw up, like, it'll um, ricochet onto her and I just can't, I can't risk, that. like, I can't risk her life and livelihood or, like, you know, my consequences of my, like, me running my mouth off for, like, my family and my kids. It's just changes right. the calculus.
0: For sure. No. And I, I mean, that was such a helpful answer to me because I feel like I'm still in the idea that being honest can change how people think. And I don't, but maybe I'm learning now that it, it doesn't actually have that effect.
1: Um, I landed on eventually with like a lot of sort of reflection (laughs) and private writing about this kind of thing. And like therapy (laughs) is, Mm -hmm. is that, I do still i i I have the same ideals, I definitely have the same ideals. I think the path there has to be less individualistic and more right. collective, like as with everything you know mm-hmm. like the the power of like one person exposing the material conditions of their existence is it's powerful, but it's like intrinsically limited
0: right and right. I
1: think it's much more. I mean, imagine, imagine how much more powerful if like every single freelancer you knew published like a very straightforward accounting of, or just their tax returns. I mean, Jesus Christ, like, (laughs) like it's not like we have to write an essay. It's, it's, um, there's already a spreadsheet, you know? Right. Um, if every publication had like a masthead that just said, um, everyone's salary, like right after their job title, you know, like that's <laughs> much more straightforward than a soul searching essay.
0: Right. No, and it and it's that's it, it I think we come up a lot against all these weird ideas as like freelance writers, especially how there's this constant like people constantly saying like no one can really make a living as a writer. Like everyone is secretly doing something else. And like, it's, there's just constant like, um, conspiracy theories about how people make a living. And I, I do, that's why I think I do feel like honesty is such an important part of it, but you're right that it doesn't matter if it's only a few people because there's still going to be these conspiracy theories about how writers make a living. Um, that that are for whatever reason super super common and pervasive. Um, yeah, I did a weird CNBC video once that I really regret about money. <laughs> oh yeah, um,
1: really, really I wouldn't. No,
0: please, please <laughs> don't. Yeah, it's horrible. But I was at a point where like I really had. I think it was twenty eighteen. I like didn't really have enough work. Like twenty eighteen was the year where I actually got money back as a freelancer which never happens so like that tells you how much money I made oh, and wow. so like yeah. um yeah like a friend's sister a friend I used to work with at New York Magazine like her sister worked at CNBC and was like you're interesting will you do this I think she was buying like bachelorette party cupcakes off of me that had like little chocolate penises <laughs> that I'd made and she like she was like do you want to do this thing about money and I was like yeah fine I'll do the video about money and then it's like um I think I'm still like my pictures, like the icon for the series. <laughs> like, like people send me pictures all the time of it. I'm like, I didn't know it would have such a long life. And, but luckily I don't think any anyone in like my field has actually seen it um, until I've talked about it now, probably, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like just such an embarrassing, stupid thing. But like, again, just this idea that like I can be super honest and transparent and that will be a useful thing. And it's like, no, it actually isn't. It just makes me like feel um, a little bit naked all the time, so yeah. Yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um. But kind of in a related vein, you wrote a really amazing piece for The Cut about shame, and one of the lines was, "Being hated quickly became something that I took for granted as the price of doing business." And you know, I feel like in a similar vein to being honest, there is this kind of anticipation of being hated if you're a writer on the internet I don't I don't know if you feel how your thought thinking on that has changed
1: um oh my god I feel like since I wrote that it's only gotten worse a little bit Mm -hmm. and I wrote that you know I mean I I spent most of most of 2019 uh working on that essay it's not crazy it took me like it took me (laughs) um Seven or eight months, just oh, writing wow. various drafts of that essay to finally figure out what what I wanted to say with it, and it was excruciating the whole time. I mean, I had a really really good editor who mm-hmm. I loved and had a like quasi therapeutic relationship, yeah. with it. Um, but it was it was really hard to like make myself to make myself go back there, and especially because I'd written sort of versions of it before, so I had to figure out what do I want to say this time that's different. Um, and also not like plagiarize myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, be like, so I've already said, like, I want to be loved. I don't mm-hmm. want to be hated, but I guess at that point I had accepted that being hated was yeah. The, the price of admission. Um, it's just so, it really makes me feel so sad to think about all the people for whom being hated is not the price of admission structurally
0: and
1: and has, and never has been. And how just like, you know, the, um, yeah, I, um, it shouldn't, I don't think I obviously this should go without saying, but it shouldn't be that way for anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, um, it's tricky. I don't know. My so my my, my friends tease me sometimes because I have a very, um, I have a sort of knee jerk reaction to anyone who is uh, like the main character of the day. Right. I, um, <laughs> I and I feel I feel automatically defensive of that person, kind of no matter how much they suck, because right. I just know how bad it can feel to be that person and of course they're not necessarily experiencing it the same way that I would or that I have um my my friend Jessica calls it your Ava Braun thing <laughs> 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 I'm always like seriously I'm like guys like come on like she's not that bad <laughs> um, And I, I don't actually feel that way um about literally Ava Braun um but um yeah I think it's it's just, it's just so, it's so hard and so complicated. Everyone has their own relationship to attention and notoriety and sort of how much they're willing to put up with in order to get the, like, sort of <laughs> often very paltry rewards of being, being public in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, like, the more experience to get in this realm the trade-off just really does not seem worth it you right. know um I I often wonder what it would take for me like what would be the final straw for me to like just really say goodbye to it forever and be like a you know recluse who um only emerges like every Five years or so, like does like the bare minimum of book publicity, and then like goes back to my, um, you know, um, monastic cabin somewhere. <laughs> well, you can tell that that's not my actual personality. Right. <laughs> like, I love people and being in the world and like connecting people and um, connecting ideas and I guess like I'm I'm willing I'm. The price is the price is high. It's too high. It's too high for almost everyone. Yeah. Um. But I'm currently still willing to pay it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how much longer I will be be willing to. But right. For now, I still am. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, yeah. It's a. <laughs> it's like the complicated question of of the day I suppose yeah I mean everyone's like I want to just be so successful that I cannot be online and it's like I don't know if I would there's a level for me (laughs) where I would I would not be online like I don't know for myself whether that exists and now I have to ask myself that question all the time um but it's yeah it's a weird one um and I mean, well, to get back to food, and I'm sorry, I asked you like a bunch of heavy questions yeah, about.
1: No, I, no, I, I you can tell. I just want to talk about like you and what the last couple of weeks have been like for you. But
0: there. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm happy. Yeah, it was it was weird, and and I mean, I think that's why I'm asking you the questions I'm asking you, and like I don't want to have like an an advice <laughs> session about it. But I think I'm asking you those questions because I'm interested in what the price is that I'm willing to pay mm-hmm. to have attention. And and I don't know if it's necessarily attention or just a career and yeah.
1: Yeah. people
0: yeah. And, and like feeling a little bit blamed for like my own like success, uh, quote unquote, like feeling like people think that I did something specific to make people pay attention to me other than just write things which is which is i think um a stranger feeling even than like someone coming after me for pretending <laughs> to no. to be someone i'm not um i think it's it's more i mean that was something that was easy to disprove um so while it was you know, strange and traumatic, it was easy to disprove. And so it wasn't that difficult. But, like, the thing that really bothers me is when people act like I have, like, done something to bring this upon me. <laughs> and, like, there's some sort of, like, both sides have a point um, which has emerged, which was really strange because I feel like the other person did not have any point at all. Um, so, yeah, no, that's why I think I'm I'm focused on these questions because it's, like, what what does what does it cost to be honest and what does it cost to um, accept that people aren't going to like you when we all want to be liked? Um, I don't know if it's, I have a Libra moon, a Libra Mars. I don't know if that meant, makes any difference, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't under like, and yeah, it's just this thing where its I'm constantly asking myself, like, have I done something to make people like hate me and like, not even just hate me, but also like think that I, am like a person without feelings because that's another kind of strain of of thing and that and that emerged as well last week and and was just kind of an offshoot of what like bejally did which was that some people just didn't think i was deserving of like sympathy, or I don't know if they didn't think I was deserving, but they express zero sympathy in like acknowledging the events, but then express zero sympathy. And I was like, I don't really know how to deal with that. Like, that's a weirder thing for me to deal with um, Is is feeling like this person doesn't think I was wronged in any way. Like, yeah, basically it's like all the offshoots of the situation were more significant to me than the situation itself, if that makes sense. And so of course that's why, yeah, I'm asking these, these questions, like do Do I need to be less available? Do I need to be less like? Do I need to care less, or is this just what it is to be a writer? I don't know.
1: I mean, do do you want advice? Because I'm, of course, my my, (laughs) my job is always to give advice, and sometimes I need to check myself because obviously not everyone, and also I don't. Sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about, but with this situation, I feel like right. I
0: have <laughs> Yeah, you have I experience.
1: Have, I have things that I potentially could share, um, and they might work for you or not. Um, sure. I, I mean, I think part of what you're coming up against is that you are hitting the point in your career, and you're sort of being known as a writer and a person, um, where people think that they can talk about you, and that you are not part of that conversation, right. Um, that, that you probably, you are existing on some lofty plane where you will not be a witness to every interaction that takes place about you or your work or what you mean. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's a weird thing. And it feels really, um, and it it can feel really bad, um, but it's not, but it's not, um, its consequences are not necessarily all bad. And it's, and I don't, and I don't think that, and it's like totally normal to experience it as, you know, it, it can, it, it feels terrible. It feels terrible. I think one of the, one of the weirdest things that I've had to sort of like do a lot friends through who are just having like their first book published or their first like, big article that like makes it Mm -hmm. flash is that like success and failure are flip sides of the same coin. And oftentimes in the moment of them, they feel, they can feel identical.
0: Right.
1: Um, And that's it's, and you have to sort of like mourn what you thought it might feel like to be known. Like, because I think people expect that it will feel like being perfectly understood And loved in all of your particulars (laughs) and just, you know, uh, unconditionally, positively, warmly received. And it doesn't feel like that. Instead, it can feel like not being a person.
0: Right. Um, Yeah.
1: You become an idea rather than a person to, to people. And that that means that it's time to like set your notifications to edit paper, <laughs> really. Right. like really yeah. like you know and decide whose feedback actually matters to you it's probably going to be a really short list and then you know um you can focus on later you can focus on like remaining just open enough and like um you know, having still some appetite for novelty and yeah. new connections and new friends. But like at a time of sort of peak like attention and I want to say crisis, but it's not necessarily crisis because a crisis can be like success too. Right. like you need to just like lock it down and focus on the people who are like the real people who care, who you care about and who matters right. you and, and what their opinion of you is. And it's, and none of this requires you to be a perfect person who's always right and who has perfect opinions and political positions and behaviors. Like it doesn't require your writing to be perfect or flawless either. Like you just, it's not like, and you don't, like you can even, you can even have been wrong. You -hmm. know, it's just like focusing on like your core self, the people who, affirm and like enhance that core self and the people and the like communities that you actually want to be a part of rather than the sort of like larger community of people who want to have some aspect of themselves associated with you right that makes sense
0: no it makes complete sense and yeah yeah, that's my I have a, a good friend who's another food writer and he has another he has his first book coming out this year but he had like a kind of incident similar to what I dealt with last week and basically what he's done is to stop tweeting stop posting anything and I'm like I don't know like that's not in me <laughs> like but I can shut out the people that I don't care about and that's that's definitely what I need to do and that's that so makes so much sense that it's like it's just kind of a point at which you need to just only focus on the echo chamber and like sometimes I'm like the, I don't know if that's fair like I maybe I should hear what other people have to say and then but I yeah it's it's too damaging and too distracting to know <laughs> I think yeah. um yeah yeah and it's,
1: and it's and it's you know you you give you give something up for sure yeah
0: like,
1: but but to me it seems like the only the only viable path forward right um yeah, because otherwise it could just really um, <laughs> like seem the greatest minds of my generation, uh, mm. be, like totally warped by having to be constantly responsible to a lot of people for right. like, their every utterance. And like, it's not good for, it's just not, it's not no. how our brains are meant to deal with social interactions.
0: Not at all. Not at all. Um, but well, I mean, thank you had, for that. I'm noted...
1: <laughs> psychologist and a neurologist. So you know, I've done a lot of research on this.
0: No, but thank you so much for that. And I like I honestly like was conscious of not wanting to ask you for advice. I was like, no, this is an interview about your work, but I like had this kind of subtextual thought while I was writing these questions where I'm like, I'm asking her for advice <laughs> without <laughs> you
1: know, I love advice and I don't I don't get to give it as often as I'd like because my best my best friend is like I just want to complain to you. Don't try yeah. to solve it. Don't try to solve everything. I'm like, but it's I want to fix it. I know how right. everyone should live except, <laughs> not, except not me, but everyone else. No, um
0: but well, to actually get back to your work and and your work that has been um in the food sphere, which was you did a series for the all, I guess like 10 years ago, um the all obviously being you know the the website that everyone mourns um now and um cooking the books where you you cooked food with you know novelists usually right and yeah. and you yeah and and i think you know if you were doing this now for a website i think it would be like a, people would love it but <laughs> people love watching people cook online now which is i don't think was the case back then um but you know what made you want to get into that and what kind of was the Not just the inspiration, but like, what was your goal with that?
1: Um, Well, it was more just like my friend Val, um, Valerie Temple, is a filmmaker, um, and she, or she, you know, had. Had a camera, I guess, (laughs) and she she was living in Philly at the time, and we didn't get and I love her, and we don't get we didn't get to see each other very often, and we just kind of wanted to have a project together so that she would have an excuse to like come up to and like be in New York once a month and like sleep on my couch, and we would like spend the day making this internet TV show, and then we would like go out afterwards, and it was like our like friendship reconnecting time. And later on, like, um, this amazing, amazing, I mean, you can't tell from the quality of this thing because like, it's so, it's so sad that we were making this thing before, like everyone could make a much better TV show than this film <laughs> now, but it, we were making it in, you know, 2009 or 2010 or whenever. And like, we were actually using cameras and shooting in my apartment's kitchen. Um, and we would like spend a lot of time putting black paper on the windows so that the lighting wouldn't be appalling, but it was still pretty bad. Um, and yeah, it was just like, I don't know. I just wanted to have like a collaborative project. We had no like goals for it. We were really just making it like for kicks and for fun. And then they, they posted it on the all because like they were just willing to do that. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Um, and Yeah, we did it. We just did it for as long as we could. We did it was. I mean, it was a lot of work. Um, and we did it basically until I moved out of that apartment, and then I moved into a place where the kitchen was much harder to shoot into. It was like more of a like a galley, you know, standard Mm -hmm. New York kitchen. This this place was more of like a, you know, it's just like the, the third floor of a brownstone, so it was all it was kind of like all one room, um, and with like a little island, um that we could stand at while we talked to the camera. Um, and I just wanted an excuse to talk to writers who I admire too. I kind of can't believe the people who we got in there. We had right. some real disasters though. Because like we, <laughs> oh. we started to get like, you know, book publicists are so desperate um, right. for any kind of coverage Um <laughs> For books and so when once we started getting people sort of like pitched us who didn't necessarily know what they were getting into and then it's like this completely amateurish situation in someone's apartment they were we had some people who were like oh no oh no 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 um and we had one particular oh god I wish I could remember the woman's name she was a British food writer who I think was very sort of famous I, I want to look up her like a like a you know, an older person who had had a long career being taken very mm-hmm. really seriously in writing for all of the major like food publications. And she got really upset because the um, pudding that we were making from her cookbook was like clearly not going to come out very well. And I was like, I remember. <laughs> like, it's about, it's about improvisation and experimentation. We can just bake taking bites of it and mm-hmm. you know, saying that it's yummy. And she was really sad and really offended. And we we never ended up um, airing her episode. Um, oh wow! But, but because I think she thought she was going on, you know, um, <laughs> like a real TV show. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it definitely worked out a lot better with people who are sort of more more game. The episode with Towlin is still my favorite. The one mm. where he's like taking bites off. Of a uh, cucumber and then spitting them into the salad bowl like oh. means, of- <laughs> I
0: mean,
1: just as absurdist, like thing. right, right, <laughs> like really, really a moment. Um. Anyway, yeah, I I loved doing it. I'm probably not a person who's um meant to be on camera, but mm. it was still really fun for me to do.
0: Right. Well, for you, is cooking a political act?
1: I thought about, you know, you sent me this question in advance, so I had some time to think about it. So I've really been thinking about it. Um, I mean, I think to the extent that it is, for me, a political act, it connects back to everything that we talked about before, about idealized visions of female domesticity and the people who've had success sort of reclaiming it and making it a career. And... I didn't go, end up going in that direction. I think the path sort of forked for me in a way that foreclosed that direction. And right. now I feel like for me, not cooking <laughs> would be much more of a political act. You know? Like, Right. Um, I mean, my my husband is... Uh, God, I really, I really don't want to sound like one of those people who's like, well, my husband really shares every responsibility. It's like, okay, like, like, also, like, good for you, and also, I don't believe you, right? <laughs> um, it's not structurally possible, and, right? And it, and it if it is, it's like just made possible by money, like, not right. by him, like, being an intrinsically better feminist, <laughs> um. But, um, you know, there, there are things that he does and there are things that I do and cooking is definitely a thing that I've always done. And when we were much younger, I really thought, um, I hated the idea of having anyone else's input in the kitchen or input Mm -hmm. and what we would eat and what kind of groceries we would buy. And I wanted, I wanted to be solely responsible for it and have it be my thing and have something else be very, very discreetly his thing. And now I'm just like, look, somebody needs to heat up these like broccoli nuggets. It does not have to be me. I'm not better at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I get no joy from it. And it's not like a creative act for me. To get back to the place where cooking would be a like me using the creative part of my brain in a satisfying way. But I've been thinking and talking so much lately about, um, you know, um, social reproduction, like social reproductive theory, Mm -hmm. feminism, and anything that's just something that is like the baseline of what you do to like keep the machine running for another day. That doesn't feel like something that I necessarily need to be involved in. So, so for me, yeah, like I would like to, (laughs) we're just like doing this whole interview about food and I'm like, I want to think about food less. I (laughs) want to, I want to grocery, be involved with grocery shopping less. And I went to figure out a way to make that sustainable for my family, for everyone's family. Um, I, I no longer have a vision of myself typing away at my novel all day and then, serving my family the delicious homemade food at night that they gleefully gobble up and say thank you mother (laughs) because no aspect of that is realistic (laughs) i would still like all of it to be taking place in a brownstone that would be really cool i'm just putting that out there to the universe please 2.5 million dollar brownstone fall into my lap somehow climb into my lap like a warm puppy and just stay there um yeah probably not gonna happen I'm just
0: putting it, in it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on, and I wish that we could have talked about your novels. Even okay, I haven't read okay. Perfect Tunes yet, but I want to. And I read Friendship years ago, and and I really I loved it. I don't know how you feel about it now, but I loved it when I oh, read no, it.
1: No, still a fan. I'm still okay good
0: (laughs) i i was like i can't tell which book was the pliers book um um,
1: and the heart says whatever whatever. okay which like people like like it's not a bad book it's just like for me it's like the book that i wrote when i was 28 you know right like do you want to read like a tweet that you wrote when you were 20 no probably (laughs) whole book like yeah
0: yeah you know i understand um but yes thank you so much again for taking the time out Um, And for the advice. (laughs)
1: Like, more where that came from, uh, get at me, hit me up anytime. I'm your loyal (laughs) subscriber and I'm at your disposal.
0: Oh, thank you so much. (laughs)